our children can go out to Children's Church now. If they'll go to the back of the sanctuary, and Sandy Atkinson and others are back there to help. Just follow them out and down the stairs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is now to open the Bible. We're here because we want to know the truth, and your word is truth. And so we pray that as we open the Bible this morning, that from these verses, your Holy Spirit would take them and apply them to each of our lives. We know that you know all about us, and you know better than we do what we need. And so we pray that you'll use your word this morning to touch our hearts, to lead us, to change us, to show us the way that you would have us to go. Lead us, Lord, in the way everlasting. And help us now to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's open the Bible to Philippians 1 this morning. We uh, just started a week ago going through Philippians verse by verse uh, on Sunday morning. And we're ready to look at verses 9 through 11, which really kind of follows up on what Paul had begun talking about in what we saw a week ago, talking about the nature really of the church as he wrote to this Philippian church. Paul was in prison in Rome and he was writing this letter as a thank you to the church at Philippi, thanking them for having sent uh, help and comfort to him and also writing to them to encourage them as they continued to stand strong for Jesus Christ. And in that beginning, he kind of described the church. And one of the things that he said about the church is that it is a fellowship. The word koinonia was used. A fellowship of love. And love is really the key. And that's what we look at this morning because he elaborates on what he had begun to mention. And that is the importance of love in the church and through the church. Really, the, the key sign of a maturing faith is love. If love is not there in a Christian's life, if it isn't evident, if it isn't dominant, if it isn't on display in the natural course of the Christian's life, that is not a mature Christian. I don't care how long they've been saved, how many times a week they go to church, how many times they read the Bible every day or pray every day, if there is no evident love in the Christian's life, all the rest of that becomes empty. Now, it's not that Bible study and prayer and being active in God's church, those things are all very important. And I would argue with you, they will help produce love in the Christian's life. They will help you and me to mature in our faith so that love becomes the outgrowth of that. But where there is no love, the power of God is not in control. And we need to remember that as the people of God. We need to remember that as we relate to one another. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a situation where you were in a church where there wasn't very much love between the church members. That's a bad place to be. It really is. And there are times where that happens. There are churches that have fallen into so, such disunion and division 
that it is like the, you know, it's like the Hatfields and the McCoys every time people get together. Well, God's power is not in control there. If love for one another is not dominant, how in the world can we love the world? How can we love other people who are not Christians if we can't even love each other? Didn't Jesus say, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another? So this is crucial. This is really the key to maturing faith. And let's look at what Paul says about that in these verses. Look at verse 9, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sadly, too many Christians think that a mature faith is all about how many Bible studies you've done or how many workbooks you've filled out. Those things can help, but they aren't the goal. The goal is love. Loving God and loving others. All of those things are just tools to facilitate us coming to the place where we are in right relationship with God. And because we have a relationship with God, we love other people the way Christ loves them and the way that Christ has loved us. David Wilkerson said, love is not something, not only something you feel, it is something you do. It is something you do. And you could have the philosophical argument, if love is never anything more than just what you say you have and you say you feel, but there's never any active out, outward sign of it. There's never any practical display of it. Is that really love at all? Well, in practical terms, how did Jesus love us? Did he just sit in heaven and say, oh, I love you. I love you, but you're lost and you're going to hell. Now, we would have deserved that. He would have been right, righteous in that. But his love went far beyond saying that. He came. He left heaven and came to this earth so that he, would, he could save us from our sin. His love had action, and so must our love have action. And so if love is the key sign of a maturing faith, what can we say about this love? The nature of it. The nature of this love. It is a love that grows. It grows toward a full reflection of God's love. So this is not just love in the abstract. You know, we talk about the, just the warm, fuzzy, uh, abstract concept of love. You hear that word a lot on television. News, television programs. Oh, yeah, everybody, everybody loves everybody. But what does that even mean? Well, when Paul talks about love, he's not just talking about any kind of love. He's talking about the love of God. Divine love, God's love. 
And so the kind of love we ought to have for each other and for the world is God's love. Because we have received God's love. We can then share the love of God. And this is the goal of our growth in love, that we might become like Christ, like he is. And so if you want to see the love of God, just go back and look at the life of Jesus. How did he, how did he treat people? His compassion. Doing what was best, not for himself, but for others. A sacrificial love. And he came to meet their greatest need, our greatest need, to save us from our sin. Oh, he could have set up a political kingdom. He could have done away with the Roman Empire immediately. But he knew that that would not change the heart of men and women, boys and girls. He came to bring a kingdom that would last far longer than any empire on this earth. He came to bring the kingdom of God into the hearts of people. Every person who will receive Jesus into their life, the kingdom of God comes in your life. And so if you want to know what this love is like, just look at Jesus. Look at him in his three years of ministry. Look at him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, willing to take the cup of our suffering. Look at him as he was arrested and beaten. Look at him standing there, the man about whom Pilate said, I find no fault in him at all. Well, there wasn't any fault in him. But there's a lot of fault in us. And he took all of that fault upon himself. And look at him as he walked through the gates of Jerusalem and up the hill to Calvary. And as he was nailed to the cross, dying there for us. That's the love of God. And you see, it's that kind of love that we have been given and therefore, as the people of God, how can we not abound in that love? That's what Paul is saying to these Philippians. He's trying to, to keep them on the right track. He's, he's saying, lift your gaze above yourselves. And if there's any division or disagreement among you, get your eyes off of that. And get your eyes on the love of God. Because it's so much more important than anything that you might disagree about. The love of God, the nature of this love. This maturing love grows in knowledge. Do you, do you notice that Paul said that in verse, verse 9? That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So again, this love is not just some amorphous, generic love or whatever you want to make of it. There are lots of people today making religion in their own eyes, in their own image. And they want to talk about they have love and they have God, but God is just their own creation, not the creator. Knowledge. This love, he prays, would abound more and more in knowledge. The knowledge of God. And where do we get the knowledge of God? from God's Word and from the Spirit of God who comes to live within us when Christ comes into our life. And so it is not just you just make of it anything you want. No, you need knowledge. 
But knowledge isn't the goal. Knowledge is the vehicle. The knowledge of God's Word and the truth of God makes you a loving person, able to love God, receive His love, and love other people the way that He loves us. The better we know God, the better we will know other people. That's absolutely true. That's why as a Christian, the more you know God and His Word and the truth, then when you deal with other people, you're able to look beyond the surface and see what's really going on in that person's life. And they may think that their biggest problem is you name it. But you can see past that and see their biggest problem is they're aimless, they're hopeless, they're empty. They need Jesus Christ. How can you know that about a person? Because of the knowledge of God that has come into your life. It gives you discernment too. This love of God means that there are things that God loves and there are things that God hates. We ought to love what God loves. And yes, we ought to hate what God hates. Now, God doesn't hate people. He hates what people do sometimes. But God wants to save everybody. And we should want everybody to know the truth. But that doesn't mean that we affirm everything that people do. If it's not what God loves, we should never approve of it. We should never affirm it. We should never lie to people about the truth. And God loves justice. God loves life. Last Sunday and through this week, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. The people of God, above all people, ought to love life. Life at the beginning and life at the end and for eternity. And every human life is a creation of God from the womb to the tomb and beyond. And the people of God ought to love what God loves. And we ought to hate what God hates. Jesus said, he warned, looking at the little children, it would be better if a millstone was put around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest part of the sea than for you to harm one of these little ones. That should be our attitude. And so I hope that you will always stand up for life. Pro-life is pro-God. God is pro-life. Because he created you and me and every person. And the Bible says that from before the foundation of the world, God already knew who you were and had a plan for your life. And so that means in the womb, he knew your name. And we have seen in our country in this past week, New York State has made the decision that abortion can take place up to the time of birth. I, I, can't, I can't hardly believe that. Stop and think about that. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is loving what God loves. There are probably people in this congregation who were born premature. 
or you know someone who was born premature, and they lived. And it's now legal in a state in this country to kill a baby up to the point of birth? And if they botch the abortion, they can kill the baby after birth. That's what was just legalized. Do you think God loves that? No. Discernment. This love of God is a love that abounds in discernment. That means being able to see the way God sees and see what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. I hope you'll join me in praying that out of this overreach by those who have enacted that law, they have so overreached it may give rise to some kind of a suit that the Supreme Court will have to take up and will have to deal with the issue of when does life begin. All the scientific evidence tells us it begins at conception. People are being put in prison for double murders because they kill a woman who is pregnant. So how in the world then can you kill a baby at the time of birth and it be legal? Something's got to give. And these people who cheered and celebrated with blood on their hands, they very well may have now given rise to the very thing that will finally cause the Supreme Court to have to once again address the issue of life. When does life begin? And if life is real in a mother's womb, if that's a living person, don't they have rights under our Constitution like everybody else? the right to life. I hope you'll pray about that. Pray for wisdom. Pray that something will finally be done about this. The nature of this love, the love of God, is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. It's discernment. Everything is not equally good. And the Bible is what helps us understand what is good and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is unrighteous. What else does Paul say here? He talks about the secret of this love. The secret of this love is your relationship with God. So the kind of love he's talking about is the love of God in you. R.C. Sproul said in the New Testament, love is more of a verb than a noun. It has more to do with acting than with feeling. The call to love is not so much a call to a certain state of feeling as it is to a quality of action. So again, the love of God in us is God's action to save us, to make us his own children. And then that love acting in us and through us, we're going to act the way God would have us to act. C.S. Lewis said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. So, do you have some neighbors that cause you trouble? Do you have some neighbors that are hard to love? 
it really becomes immaterial how you feel about them as long as you act in a loving way toward them. Because the love of God will enable you to rise above your feelings and your attitudes and act in a way that is consistent with God himself. So I hope maybe that will set us free from some people that we have a hard time with. Well, I just don't like him. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way she does things. I don't like what they did to me. I don't like what they said to my child. Okay, so be it. But you can still love that person by treating them the way God would have you to treat them. You can act against what you feel. You can be a loving person whether you feel like it or not. That's the power of God in you. The secret of this love, you see, is the power of God that is now living in you through Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes into your life, you now are under his authority and under his control. D.L. Moody said, if we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it in our lives. We won't have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say or do. And so when the love of God has changed your life, really it can't help but be displayed if we allow Christ to be in control. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. You see, he's urging them to live consistently with their faith. And he's saying, you keep on doing what God wants you to do until Jesus comes back, until the day of Christ, when you stand before him someday, when you'll have to give an account. Now, if you're a Christian, you don't have to be afraid of standing before Jesus someday because you have been forgiven based on what he did for you. But as Christians, our works will be judged. It's not a matter of whether we enter heaven or not, but our works. How have we lived as a Christian? What have we let God do with our lives? And Paul is urging them for their lives to be consistent with the faith that they profess. And then the aim of this love. Why do we love God? Why do we receive his love? Why do we share his love? Look what he says in verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. You see, this love is by Christ. And any righteousness that we have is his righteousness. It's all by him. It's all because of him. And then it concludes, to the glory and praise of God. That's the goal. That's the aim that God would be glorified. And so when we act in a way that is consistent with what God wants, we do it because we honor him, we love him, and we want him to be honored through our lives. We want him to be glorified. We should do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing so that people would look at us and say, oh, what a wonderful person he is. Oh, what a wonderful person she is. That should never be our aim. 
our aim should be that people might look at us and experience the love of God and be able to say, oh, what a wonderful God they serve. God should be glorified in us and through us. D.L. Moody also said, the world does not understand theology or dogma, but it does understand love and sympathy. And that love of God should always flow through us and into the lives of other people. An old fable tells how different instruments tried to master a piece of iron. The blows of the axe fell heavily, but its edge became more and more blunt. The saw's relentless teeth worked until they were worn down or broken. The hammer's head flew off at the first stroke. Despite all of their efforts, the iron remained. Finally, the flame. The flame curled gently around the iron, embraced it, and never left until the iron melted under its irresistible force. Love can melt hardened hearts and keep the spirit of Christ evident in his church. Love is an irresistible force. The love of God was so powerful that it reached into your life and mine and changed us. We wouldn't be here today if that were not the case. And it can do the same in the life of any man or any woman who desperately needs his love. They should be experiencing that through us. I close with the story of a woman in Stockholm, Sweden. She was injured as she rushed to catch a streetcar. She stumbled in front of the moving car and was caught beneath it. She was alive. She was injured, but really not terribly injured, but she couldn't get out from underneath it. The police sent for a crane to lift the car off of her body. And while waiting for the crane, a crowd of people gathered to watch. Finally, there was one man who pushed through the crowd. He crawled under the car and said to her, take my hand. As she took his hand, she felt warmth. She felt courage. It calmed her. And it helped her to get through it. And after the crane arrived and the woman was released, she said, I never thought an outstretched hand could mean so much. There's somebody in your life, somebody you know, who needs an outstretched hand more than you'll ever know. And that outstretched hand just may be your hand to show the love of God. There may be somebody right here in this church that needs you to just let them know somebody cares. Folks, this is the sign of a maturing faith. Do we love? Do we love the way God has loved us? He reached out his hand to us, those nail-scarred hands. Let's reach out the hand of love to one another and to this world that we live in. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this message to the church at Philippi. And here we are 2,000 years later, a local church. And we're hearing the same words they heard. And, Lord, we have the same needs they had. The human heart 
the human condition really isn't any different. So we thank you for what it means to us to hear your truth. And help us, Lord, to not just hear, but help us to obey. And to put into practice the things that you have said so plainly. We thank you, Lord, for your love that will come into the heart of any man, woman, boy, or girl who will simply say, Jesus, I believe you died for me, and I know I need your help. I am a sinner. I have failed. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I give my life to you. And those words, simple, but yet, Lord, you say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we pray in this moment, if there's someone here who needs to call on your name in their mind and heart and ask you to forgive them and to come into their life, they'll do that right now. And then they'll come to the front of this church and let others know that they've given their life to you. There may be others who need to follow you in another way, perhaps to follow you in Believer's Baptism, or to join this church, unite with this family of faith. Lord, whatever you desire, that's all we want. And may what we do now, may it bring honor to your name. May it glorify you and you alone. For it's in the name of Christ now we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our invitation.